Hello, ladies. Welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. I'm your host, Erin Austin. My goal with every episode is to share information and resources to help you achieve the next level of growth in your expertise-based business. We all know generating income from our expertise is pretty easy. The challenge is in scaling and building a business that can run without you. Join me here every week to make sure you are building an asset that can be used to fund your goals and your legacy. Before we get started though, one little disclaimer, because I'm a lawyer. The information I share on the podcast is general in nature and is provided for information purposes only. It is not to be relied upon nor construed as providing legal advice or legal opinions about any specific issue or set of facts. Now, here we go. All right. Awesome. Well, welcome to the Hourly to Exit podcast. Thank you all for being here today. I am very excited with my guest, Alex Dare McDermott. And so, Alistair, thank you for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Well, I'm so excited. Please, please tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and what kind of service you provide to them. Yeah, sure. So what I do now is very different from where I started out. Uh, I started out as a software engineer, and uh, I was pretty unemployable. So uh, I had to leave and do my own thing after six or seven years of that. And I became a search engine optimization consultant and I kept getting asked to build websites so I got into web design and so that was what I did for a long time but I wasn't really happy with it I, I, I couldn't make it work for me and I realized that I needed to specialize I needed to niche down and that realization took far too long to come uh, I was nearly uh, about 11 or 12 years into the business at that point but um, I did so I niched down into helping independent consultants to build their authority and so that's what I do now is I help experts and, and consultants and I kind of view them as wearing this uh, cloak of invisibility like you see in Harry Potter. Um, they're really great at what they do, but nobody really knows them. And so they're just surviving on word of mouth and referrals. And some people are really great at that and some people are not so good at that. And yeah, so that was something it was a, it was a problem that I had myself. And so that's that's why I'm here. And that's that's what took me to here. Awesome. Well, I'll say I, I cheated on my way to, I guess, a specialization just because I was too, I didn't want to learn something else. You know, like, okay, this, I know this stuff. I can do it. I can do it really efficiently. I can, you know, without kind of even understanding, you know, all the benefits. I'm like, I, I just don't feel like learning something new. So this is what I do. And I'm just going to get really good at it. So yeah. Well, I mean, traditionally lawyers are really great at niching down and specializing far better than people in the world of consulting. Um, because it kind of comes with the territory for lawyers and it's, it, you know, it's been baked into it for, for years, decades, you know, that you specialize, whereas a lot of consultants like to stay as a generalist kind of business management consultant and, you know, jack of all trades, but they're missing out on a lot by not doing that. Yeah. You know, I like to say like, it is very dangerous to dabble and, you know, someone's like, well, can you just look at, you know, like, no, I don't dabble in, you know, some other area of law. So yeah, I love that. So as you know, you may know, that this audience is primarily woman focused and, and, uh, but, and you are my first male guest. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> you earned your place here by being ever so gentle with me when I referred to St. Patrick's day as St. Patty's instead of St. Patty's, <laughs> 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 which and not everyone is so nice about that, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's a real bugbear for us in Ireland. Um, the the Saint Saint Patty's Saint Patty's thing. It's it's Patty's Day or Saint Patty's Day. Uh, don't call it Patty's, please. It's not right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no no teas. <laughs> yeah, a little embarrassing for someone whose uh, name is Aaron, but I I've got it now, and I will have it forevermore. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, so that that earned you an ally status, since you are always welcome here. And so I also wanted to. I don't think you mentioned in your introduction, your two podcasts, did you? No, I don't think I did. So okay. um, I have one, which is my weekly interview podcast, which Aaron has been on. I can't remember the interview number, but I'm sure we can put it in the show notes. And that was a great chat that we had. Um, and it's called The Recognized Authority. And it's about helping people to become a recognized authority in their field. So um, yeah, you can go check that out. That's my, my weekly interview show. 
I do have another podcast called the Specialization Podcast. And what that is, is, is that's like an audio course. It's like an evergreen thing. It's just out there. I think there's eight episodes or 10 episodes. And you can go listen to that anytime. I'm going to leave it up forever. Um, and basically, it's just to help people niche down and specialize. Uh, I found that it's something that I needed a lot of help on myself. And so it's it's a resource that's just out there for people. If you want to niche down your business, if you want to specialize, that's that's a, a resource that can help you with that. So that's called a specialization podcast. And you can find it in, in your podcast app if you just type that in. Now, that's awesome. Because I, you know, of course, I knew about the recognized authority and the specialization podcast. I found out when I read your, your details here. Um, so, but... I want to say that Alistair has the most amazing process for his guests. And it's just, and it's gotten even better since I was on, 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 I'm like, wow, he's got all, you know, like 20 facts, FAQs. I'm like, you know, someday I will get there. I've been a little bit lazy because all of my guests have been pros. So I haven't needed to like hold any hands so far, but I, I will get there. But on the subject of podcast launches, I wrote recently about my process and how I kind of ping-ponged and ended up somewhere in between kind of the Jonathan Stark, who I know you are familiar with, the Jonathan Stark five-day podcast challenge version of launching a podcast versus the, you know, very well-produced, either internally or externally produced podcast. And I know that you had a lot of preparation going into your podcast launch. And so tell me about how you made that decision. Um, okay, well, first off, I've been listening to podcasts since I think 2003 or 2004. So I'm a longtime listener. And in fact, I was considering creating a po- podcast back as long ago, I think as 2011. I was, I was looking to see could I find my notes. And in fact, trying to plan and create a podcast was one of the things that was a big indicator to me that I needed to niche down and specialize um, because I was finding it so hard because I was trying to create a podcast that was for too many people about too many things. And so, yeah, so I have been kind of planning for a long time. So I, I already had, you know, I already had like, you know, three or four or five years, maybe longer of planning and subconscious thinking about what I could do. And I'd also been listening to podcasts for a long, long time. So, yeah, I think I was probably in a, in a better position in one way. Um, on the other hand, you know, um, it's it's totally the opposite of just ship it. You know, it's totally the opposite of you know you need to take imperfect action. Uh, I I was doing the 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 long taking the long route. So yeah, I I, I really wish that I had found that specialization thing a lot earlier, um, which is why I'm really passionate about helping people to specialize and to niche down. I just think that it it unlocks so many things. Actually, just before I got in this podcast, uh, I was writing a big uh, thread on Twitter about the things that you miss out on by not specializing. So uh, that's funny. Yeah, it's, it's it's near and dear to my heart. It's funny that you mentioned that. Apologize. I I adopted a dog this weekend so he's and she's a barker i never had a barker dog before so if you hear a little barking that's it's just it's bailey she's a senior rescue 11 years old so it's funny that you mentioned that having a niche helped you on your end to focus your podcast because i was talking to someone who was a guest and she mentioned that it was very difficult for her when she was a guest on a podcast that didn't have a very specific point of view. That was just general business. It was really hard for her to figure out like, well, you know, what am I bringing to this audience? Who is this audience? Who am I talking to? What should I talk about? So it helps both people to have that. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, when I was uh, more general, I had a business called website doctor. I still have it and I still have some kind of recurring ongoing clients, but um, mostly it's, it's kind of on autopilot now. And uh, when I was writing blog posts for Website Doctor, I really loved it. I loved the, I loved the brand. I loved everything about it. But I was finding it so hard to write content. I was trying to write a blog post, and and, and just to give you an example, like like the, the the scope of different industries that that were my clients. I had a mining company. I had a magician who worked children's birthday parties. I had a company that manufactured. Uh, um, a, a hotel and restaurant furniture and I had e-commerce shops that sold uh, sold clothes and when you try and write a blog post that encompasses all of those and tries to give them advice about their website and their online marketing it, it's just it, it comes out so bland so generic 
um, as I described it, 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 it had the all the flavor of wallpaper paste, but none of the stickiness. So, yeah, it was just totally horrible. And, and so I was writing these terrible books. I like to think that I'm a pretty decent writer and I really love writing and I love writing about what I know about. But I, I didn't write. I'll enjoy writing this. I was starting to get writer's block and I was starting to hate the stuff that I was producing. And I was finding it so long, you know, it took me like two days to write a 600 word blog post. So, yeah. And it was that was the other indicator that and, and planning the podcast were, were the two indicators for me about the, the specialization thing. Hey everyone, a quick word from our sponsor, Think Beyond IP. Think Beyond IP helps your professional services firm build the essential legal and strategic foundation required to confidently scale your business by developing, protecting, and leveraging intellectual property assets. You can find us at thinkbeyondip.com. Now, back to the show. So we've used the terms niche and specialization. So some people use them interchangeably. I don't think you do. Tell me what you think the differences are and and the best way to kind of define them and their each pros and cons. Yeah, I, I mean, so I, I tend to use, I do tend to use um, niche and niching down and specialization. I, I think that a lot of people know what niching down is and, and that is the thing that some people are advising them to do. Um, I think people are less familiar with thinking of it or calling it specialization. For me, specialization is how I think about it. But, you know, I, I know that that's not the most, most popular term. Other people will call it positioning. Uh, I think, you know, regardless of how, how you call it, it's all the same thing. It's about picking either one problem area or one type of client or one type of platform to work on um, or some combination of all of those. And so there's, there's um, if, if we were to look at, you know, the different types of call specialization, we'd say that's horizontal specialization, vertical specialization, or platform specialization. And there are other ways to do it as well. But if you kind of, um, if you just take those, you can, you can look at those and, and say, well, these are, these are some options for me to consider. Um, if we take the simple one, the platform specialization, that's, that's um, an interesting one to look at. Um, if you get in early on a platform and you specialize on it, like, for example, Jonathan Stark, who we mentioned earlier, he uh, specialized early on in iPhone app development and mobile websites for iPhones and things like that. And so when that was brand new, he was one of the few people who was an expert in it. And it was easy for him to build authority that way. And what happens, though, over time with a platform specialization is that whoever controls the platform they're, they're happy to promote you at the start because you're one of the few people who's talking about what they do. But platforms that get popular tend to commoditize over time. And so what happens is they bring in more and more people, the ecosystem gets bigger and, and you become lost in a sea of voices. Now, if you manage to keep up some momentum for having the advantage at the start, that's great. But they do tend to peter over time because it commoditizes. Um, and at some point it may have a decline. And then platforms that don't get popular, well, they just don't get popular. So um, it's not really great. So I, I see platform uh, specialization isn't my favorite type of specialization. I think um, I would, I, I can see the, the advantages in it. And if you're willing to get in early on something, um, like, for example, if you were big into TikTok uh, a year, two years ago, um, that would have been a great time to get into it. But now I think it's going to be a lot harder. Um, the other types of specialization are horizontal and vertical. Um, there might be some other types of specialization. You could say that, you know, you could specialize in, in being big or in working with big companies and, and things like that. And um, I think that those are lesser uh, kind of, I think that those are kind of more marginal. But if we say horizontal and vertical specialization, that's where things get really interesting. So um, with horizontal specialization, you're specializing in a, in a particular problem area. And um, that, that can be a, a really great way to specialize. And then vertical specialization is specializing in a particular industry. Can, can you give us an example of a horizontal specialization? Yeah, sure. So um, somebody who specializes purely in social media management or purely in search engine optimization, those, those would be horizontal. They're not the best examples, but, but that, that would, it, it, it's a particular problem area. And then they would work with anybody who has, has a problem in that area that, that they will work in. And they could even niche down within that area and they could say, well, we, we um, 
you know, we, we, we only focus on this particular subset and, um, and, and they would narrow, narrow it down, but it's, it's not industry specific if it's horizontal. And then we could, we could say for vertical, we could say, well, for example, we could say that you, um, let's say you, you picked dentists or attorneys or consultants, um, and you could pick, you could go narrower on those. You could say, we, we only work with IP attorneys, for example, or we only work with um, corporate attorneys or, um, you know, family attorneys, for example. And so you're, you're getting, you're picking a, um, a very narrow uh, vertical to work within. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so when I think of something like a vertical specialization, like doctors, and that seems almost as general as corporations. I mean, is that like, I mean, there still has to be something even more than. Yeah. So what I like about that is just by narrowing it down to doctors, suddenly you're able to change the language that you use. So you're able to talk to them about their patients and other businesses don't talk about their clients or their customers as patients. Um, if you're talking to hotels, they call them guests. If you're talking to consultants, they call them clients. If you're talking to doctors, they call them patients. So, um, you know, other, I'm sure there's industry out there that call them service users or, you know, consumers. So, so we have this language that, that goes along, particularly within, within industries. And as you niche down, you can learn all of the language that they, that they have within an industry. So, um, I think that that is a big advantage of vertical specialization because you are talking their language literally. Another big advantage of vertical specialization in particular is that your clients tend to congregate. So they tend to have trade shows. They tend to have trade magazines, industry associations. Um, they sometimes have regulatory bodies. There's all of these um, industry kind of in, in insider things that that you can join, you can attend, uh, you can become an associate member of trade organizations. There's just so many different things that you can do. Um, one example of this was a guy called Wolfram Moritz, who was on, on my podcast, I think episode six or seven. And one of his clients was the energy sector organizing body in Germany. And so um, he, because he worked with that organization, a lot of the actual energy companies learned about him and started working with his firm. And it got to the point that they became the de facto default for, for a lot of the energy uh, sector in Germany, uh, to the point that they actually beat out one of these massive big four cor corporations. So they had six or seven staff and their competitor had, you know, 300,000 staff. Uh, and yes, wow. they, they, they beat them out for the contract because they had this specialized insider knowledge. Yeah, I know that um, in, uh, I think David C. Baker in the, what is it, the, the Business of Expertise, his book? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it. yeah, he talks about how, you know, to be small in order to compete, you have to have that super tight um, uh, niche specialization. I think, he, I think yeah. it's Yeah, and, and that, that's what it allows you to do. It allows you to punch above your weight mm -hmm. because um, what Wolfram said to me, he said, look, we, we had, um, I know, six, seven or eight staff and this corporation had 300,000 staff, but we had six or seven people who were focused in this one area mm -hmm. and they only had two that were focused in this area. So we actually had more, we were bigger than them ah, when it yeah. came to the important <laughs> details, you know? Um, but they also had other things like, for example, um, their work, they published a, a report and that became the de facto standard used by the European Union, by the EU, when it came to, um, to making decisions about the sector. And all of that came from being specialized in that, in that niche, in that area. So there's just such massive um, benefits to that vertical specialization um, that you, you, but, you know, the, the thing is, and anybody listening to this thinking, you know, oh yeah, but you're ignoring all of the negatives, the, the negatives, there's a lot of fears associated with specialization. The big one is, look, you're turning away opportunity. You know, when, when you go from the bigger pool to the smaller pool, yes, you're going to a smaller pool. You know, there's less, there's going to be less opportunity there. Um, but the thing is, it's easier to, to get that opportunity because you become the big fish in the small pond. And, um, and you, there's, there's so many different benefits to that. Um, you, can, uh, you can develop this deeper expertise because you, you're doing this pattern matching. You are working with the same types of clients on the same types of problems over and over again. 
And so you develop this pattern matching where you see you see things, you start to get these deeper insights. Um, you're not learning on every project. So what happens is you're able to reuse what you're doing. And in fact, I'm sure it's going to be easier for you to, to create intellectual property assets as well. Absolutely. <laughs> so I'm sure that's something I love really that you mentioned in. that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, so yeah, I, mean, I think there's there's great advantages to it. Um, a lot of people look at the disadvantages, but the advantages are 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 huge. Um, you can build authority because it's very hard not to. to it's very hard to build authority when you are uh, working as a jack of all trade. You, you know, you're, you're moving from from one thing to the next all the time. Um, and is it the very have, definition of authority baked into it? Yeah, um, the, uh, the recognized authority in their field. It's yes. even in, in the in the wording that we use. You know. Yes. Um, Everybody is a competitor when you are a generalist because you do what they do. So uh, whereas when, when you specialize, uh, you can partner with people who are very, very close, but marginally different uh, offerings and you can partner with them. And so you don't sudden, you don't view everybody as a competitor. You can have a, a more um, abundant mindset in, in, in how you approach things. Um, you can build an audience because you're not moving from one problem to another to another your latest posts are relevant for them because if you're if you're generalist your latest posts are, are probably not relevant to your older audience anymore um and and just creating that content becomes easier because you're writing it for uh for one group of people with one problem but there's a lot of of benefits to niching down and that's not including even the the stuff that comes from um just kind of economies of scale and um just becoming more efficient to what you do because you're working on the same types of project you're probably working with less contractors. Um, if you work with subcontractors, you probably need a smaller pool of them because you're going to be working on the same types of projects over and over again. Uh, you know, your workflow improves, your profit margins get better. As you become known as an authority, you can charge more. You will get more inbound leads, build your authority, uh, which allows you to do things like change your business model. So you can move maybe to uh, a more education-based business model, which allows you to scale. So, um, yeah, have I, have are, I sold you on that? <laughs> And still, there's a lots and lots of resistance, which you've mentioned. Like, yeah, the how, fear. The yeah, fear the is fear. the resistance. I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's not even that long ago that I, you know, and and it was a lawyer, by the way, who is one of these generals, you know, because there's, I wish I could remember the term, but I think it's called like a front door lawyer. Like, see, so you, you work with anyone who walks in the front door, you just like, you got wills, divorce, you know, traffic violation, whatever it is, you know, you don't turn away. And that's that almost, I guess that's the uh, scarcity mindset as well. Yeah. But would you want to hire somebody like that? Yeah. I know. Would you want to go, if you were at a conference, would you want to go to listen to a person who is jack of all trades speak? Mm -hmm. Like, what are they going to be talking about? Who knows? Right. And, and, and do they even know what they're going to be talking about? You know, do they know the subject inside out? Do right. they have a deep expertise? Do they have insights that might be interesting? Yeah. And how, how will they know? Like if, it's like if they do one of these types of engagements a year, like what do they know about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know there's a lot of fears and, and if, if somebody's really interested in this, go, go check out the specialization podcast. Cause I talk a lot about the fears there. Like some of the fears are, I'm going to get bored. Um, and that doesn't really happen. Nobody I've ever talked to has gotten bored. The biggest fear is going to be lack of opportunity. And, uh, you know, the, the most realistic fear, I think, is lack of opportunity, but that doesn't really happen. What happens is as you, you become better known, much more opportunity opens up to you. So that means like you have chosen a niche and or specialization that's just too small. Like it's just like there's two of them in the nation. And yeah, so, I, I, I heard Jonathan of... start talking about this um, in, in his podcast and he said, you know, nobody he's ever talked to. He said, I think he had one one person. People generally um, under-specialize rather than over-specialize if they are niching down. Um, it's very rare that people uh, go go too, too niche. Right, right. Yeah, I just remember when you were talking before about the, some, the, mass, the jack of all trades is, uh, I don't know why I always have these restaurant analogies, but when I go to a restaurant that has like a menu that's like pages and pages long, I'm like, we're in the wrong spot. <laughs> like, I just know none of it's going to be good. <laughs> it's, you know, just... Get, yeah, you know. absolutely. You know, <laughs> and, and I, I, I have the same thing. I think, uh, what, like, if, if you notice, um, I, I know that the, and I've, I've watched the American cut of this, uh, you know, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. Um, and, and I, you know, Gordon Ramsay is this chef who swears a lot. If anybody hasn't seen this, he's this British chef. He swears a lot, but he is very good and his, his food is very, very good. Um, 
the American production versus the British, if you can watch the British version, it's much better. Um, I think because they don't repeat as much and they show a bit more. But what they always do is he always goes into these restaurants. First thing he does, he cleans the kitchen. Like they literally clean it (laughs) and they throw out all the, all the food that's not fresh and the Uh stuff that's been in the, in the, in the, in the fridge for, you know, four years. And so um, he he cleans it out. Then he simplifies the menu. He, he, He says, okay, you've got, you know, 45 different types of sandwich on your menu. You know, we're, we're going to make six different offerings for lunch and that's it. And they tighten it up. And that's part of what they do. They usually refurb the place and that as well. But that was really interesting for me is that they always tighten up the menu a lot so um yeah i think that's important and and so that's kind of what you're doing here is you're tightening up your menu if you if you if you niche down yeah you know and i'm going to skip back to you mentioned insights because yes that is you know data insights you know 21st century currency and when you are you know focused in a specific area seeing the patterns you can develop valuable insights and you know one of my uh future guests is going we're going to talk about community and how, you know, when you when you have that community, you know where they congregate, you're speaking their language, you know, that adds even more to one, the insights and two, obviously, to your expertise. So we wanted to talk about referrals and that referrals are dangerous. Tell me, <laughs> tell me why. Okay. So referrals are what you do when you're not niche down, when you're a generalist. And so the way it works, if, if you're selling invisible professional services, what we're selling is it's invisible. It's usually intangible. So people can't pick it up and kind of knock on it and kind of get a feel for the build quality. Um, and quite often, the people that you did the work for, they don't want to talk about it because they're embarrassed by it or they don't want their competitors to know what they did or, you know, they just don't want to talk about it. So it's very hard for people to know what they're going to get when they're working with you. Um, as well as that, you're not selling a bar of chocolate. So you're selling something where it's going to be a relationship. So they're going to be working with you for a period of time. So they've got to like you and, and, and know you and trust you. And um, so all of, all of these factors go into making what we sell more difficult to sell. They need to have a lot more trust in you. Um, usually it's risky as well. Quite often it's expensive. And so the amount of trust that our clients need in us the bar is much, much higher than in other industries and other types of business. And so we have to create trust. We have to create a huge amount of trust. And that's that's like the currency. And so one way to do that is to get a referral from somebody who knows you. And okay, you know, Jack... uh, Jack referred me to Aaron. So I, I know that I know Jack and I trust Jack. So he's saying Aaron's good. So he's passing his trust. And so I'm going to trust him that you're good. And so the trust is passed with the referral. And there's different amounts of trust. You might say, well, look, I've, I've never worked with her, but I've heard good things. And so, you know, that, that might, might downgrade the trust level, or he might say, you know, I trust you with my life, you know, um, power of attorney. There's different levels of trust as well. So, so that's what a referral really is. And this is where authority can substitute for it. And this is where, you know, doing stuff like, you know, I'm on this podcast um, and I'm building trust with the audience who are listening here, I hope, <laughs> in, the, in them listening to me. Um, they're building trust. Um, you know, you're, you're building trust in uh, this person knows what they're talking about, but also um, that I, I would like to work with them for a period of time. Because that's important as well, because again, it's not this transactional thing. It's a relationship that you're entering into. So referrals are kind of the default. Referrals are what everybody does when they're a generalist, because you can't do inbound marketing as a generalist, because you don't have a specialization. You're not an authority. So what what can you do? Well, I mean, you can't really put up uh, billboards for your for your firm for your business you know that's not going to build any trust people aren't you know it's not going to work for you um, it might work for you know McKinsey or somebody um, but it's, it's not going to work for you because they already have that brand built up and things like that so referrals are the default the problem is if you don't have a let's say you went to Harvard and you got an MBA in Harvard you may have an amazing network from you know being a college there and the, the networks that you build up there but some people don't have those huge networks or some people live in, in different, in, in smaller towns. Some people live in different places. I live in the rural West coast of Ireland. So I didn't really have a, a huge referral network from that. 
And then the other thing is, if you change what you're doing, uh, you you reduce the size of your referral network as well, or you don't have a referral network. Or what happens is you have a referral network from your old work, um, from your old types of, of projects, but you're not getting referred the type of work that you're doing now. And so your older referrals are, are no use to you. Or sometimes people will just give you bad referrals. When I was in a startup business network in Dublin, uh, I still sometimes get referred uh, startup businesses for websites mm -hmm. and um, they're nightmares <laughs> for, yeah. for websites. They're low budget and also uh, they tend to pivot and change all the time. So they need lots of changes and, and they haven't they haven't worked with web designers before. Um, you know, so, so they're not a, a good client. So you can get referred bad clients. So um, and they can just be dangerous to rely on, you know, um, referral networks. When you're in your first couple of years of business, it can work really well because your whole network is rooting for you. They're all saying, oh, you know, Erin's just gone out on her own. You know, um, she's looking for. But what happens over time is it that dries out, that gets tapped out. And so your referral network starts to pass you less work. And then you have to go into, OK, how do I get more? <laughs> so what can you do? Well, one thing you can do is you can, you can work on getting more referrals. But sometimes that can feel a bit tacky. You know, are you asking for referrals? How does that work? You know, um, for me, the inbound route is far superior, which is to build your authority, become known for something and have people find you, have people listen to you on podcasts, have people read your eBooks, have people listen to your podcast or watch your social media videos and then say, you know what? I want to work with that person. That's, uh, you know, th they get to, th to the point where they know that you can do what, what they need and they want to work with you. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, the reasons, you know, that it's unsustainable to try to sustain a business on referrals. But I'm also wondering about, like, when we talk about, you know, having that uh, tight positioning with your niche specialization, like, that can make referrals good? Like, I mean, like, we're just talking about, you know, the Rolodex moment, another yeah. Jonathan Stark reference. So if you have that strong positioning... And people have that Rolodex moment when they hear your positioning that they then can refer someone to you. So I guess it's almost like which one comes first, the positioning, therefore the good referrals, or the, you know, but but it may kind of transform, you know, one, you don't need the referrals anymore because you got the inbound, you know, the authority to get the inbound, but you get the, the benefit of getting good referrals instead of getting these bad referrals, which can be, or, you know, in exact referrals, maybe I'll put them that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm -hmm. if like once your positioning becomes clear, mm -hmm. and, and your positioning also, by the way, it develops over time. Mm -hmm. And it like, I think that you should revisit your positioning statement, which I kind of see this as the the fulcrum of your marketing. Um, this this thing that's 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 the core part of your marketing is your positioning. Um, I think you should revisit that. You know, at least once a quarter. And, and you will wordsmith it. And I, I have versions of my um, positioning statement going back for, I don't know, 12, 15 years of the different ways that I positioned the business and the different types of clients, the different type of work, different services that I was offering. And it, it, be, it becomes something where, you know, you get closer and closer to, to tweaking it to, to be an exact fit to what you want to do and to attract the right clients. So, um, yeah, it's something that I would, I would tweak over time. Um, always come back and look at it because it, it's kind of like the core part. Everything comes from that, from that positioning. But um, yeah, I think that referrals can get a lot better if you are niche down, if you're specialized. But again, you don't need those referrals at that point. And even then, what a lot of people find is a lot of the authorities I've spoken to, um, what they find is they, they bat back the referral and say, um, I would love to work with you, but go watch these six videos first, because then you'll know what you need because the inbound leads are superior because they're already educated. Inbound leads will turn up with the check already signed. They'll say, no, no, I don't need any more. I'm, I'm ready to go. Whereas the referral was said, oh, I was, re I was referred to you by Mary. Um, you know, can you tell me a bit about what you do? And, and so the authority is saying, no, that's not what I do. I, I, don't, I don't get in a call and tell people what I do. I get in a call and see if I'm a good fit for them. So it, you figure out if I'm, if I'm right for you by watching, you know, my, my podcast, my YouTube videos, all of that. And I, I don't mean that in an egotistical way, but it just, it makes life so much easier when clients show up ready to go. It's, it's just much, you know, it's, it's a much more pleasant way of working. 
you know, you, you probably just solved one of my problems. I, you know, because I am having this problem right now, you know, because I have been an intellectual property lawyer for, you know, 30 years. And so, and now focusing on my niche, which is found, founders of uh, expertise-based businesses and a specialization, which is helping them create IP assets um, so they can scale and build. And you, with the micro niche, micro specialization, you tell me which, of, of, uh, of you know, creating licensing and certification programs based on their expertise. Part of my positioning continues to be that I am an intellectual property lawyer, which distinguishes me from other people in this space who help people create you know, IP assets. So of course, there's, there's people who are non-lawyers who do that. So I want to continue to have kind of the IP lawyer in my positioning. Mm -hmm. But then I get these referrals that are just for an IP lawyer. And so I, I've been like having a really high impact. I got one today where someone's like, oh, so-and-so has an IP problem. Talk to Aaron. I'm like, oh. So I, I think that what you could do is reconsider your positioning statement. And if you go with a format of, I help these people solve this problem, then that gets away from um, talking about the IP lawyer part very strongly. So you could say, you could say, I'm an IP lawyer who helps X get Y, right? So I'm an, an IP lawyer who helps women founders of tech companies to develop their uh, intellectual property assets into a licensing. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't have the rest yeah, of that, yeah, but yeah, you, no, you will, no, that's right? <laughs> so, so by 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 saying it like that, you know, you're getting very clear, and you, and you can put that on your LinkedIn profile, you can put it on your Twitter profile, you can put it, you know, wherever your socials are, and that will be really really clear. Is like, okay, I help these people, and yeah, like one of the things when you niche down, and you specialize, you will get referrals, and you will get people who are outside of your specialization. And that's okay. You can choose. There's no specialization police who are going to come along and stop you from working with them. If you want to work with them, go go right ahead. But what what you find that over time, as you as you are more and more specialized, as you've been specialized for a longer time, what you'll find is you don't want to work with them anymore because they're not a good fit for you anymore. You don't have your systems and projects set up for them. It's not as profitable. You're spending more time on admin work and things with them because they're not ready to go and it's not the same type of project. So um, I do very, very few websites these days. I think I do about one a year now. Um, whereas, you know, I would have done maybe 60 or 100 in a year um, a couple of years back, you know? So, 100, really? Yeah. <laughs> having a good team is really important if you're doing that having a good team and processes now I, I i'm a big believer in systems and processes um i think if you've seen my uh, my workflow for the podcast you you, you know mm -hmm. yes. um i put that out i put that out recently on twitter and, and linkedin but uh, having a good workflow is really important for that kind of thing but yeah i'm much happier to be working with you know a, a handful of people every year um it makes life a lot easier well that that kind of flows right into kind of the next thing I'm going to talk about, which, as we know, this is the Hourly to Exit podcast. And so we help uh, people kind of move through that journey to get to a business that could be sold someday. And part of that is them building exclusivity into their business, which could be intellectual property and obviously their positioning as well, and as well as predictability so that an acquirer would know that that business would continue to thrive you know, independently of the owner and that those revenue projections are uh, dependable. And so in the context, I think we've already talked about this, but for, for the record, uh, in the context of building a, a scalable and saleable business, where do niches and specializations fit in? Uh, that's really interesting. And, and I'm, I'm going to have to work through this a, a little bit with you because it's not something that I've thought a lot about. The way I think about my own business, I don't intend ever to stop or to sell it. Now, on the other hand, I know that even if you don't intend to do so, planning as if you were going to sell your business can be a very, very positive thing for your business because you can, um, you know, you can put processes in place that allow you to kind of disengage and, and disconnect from the hourly rate, <laughs> which is uh, what you're talking about as well. Um, and, you know, having those systems and processes like for example, I know several um, people who had that personal brand, who were who were agency owners, 
who had that personal brand, which they developed over time and built that authority. Um, but they managed to take that personal authority and they kind of managed to segue that into the business authority. And um, I know that there are at least two podcasts that I know of where the owner used to be the host, but no longer is the host. So they brought in a, a third party host to, to do the interviews. Now, you have to have the right people for that. Uh, particularly for something, you know, like podcast interviews and, and things like that, where it is personality based. But I'm, I'm sure that you can start that you can start out, you know, building a personal authority, but, you know, focus that a lot on the business. If you look at um, Blair ends with win without pitching, I think that he does this really well, where he has transitioned his personal authority into the business and into uh, I think it's got it's got to it's got to come back to integrating those intellectual property assets, right? Because you're taking the knowledge and you're turning it into frameworks. So yeah, I think what you're talking about is really important in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So well, so are you saying you know? Well, this is a very meta podcast, for by the way, because you know I am an expertise founder of an expertise based business, and I do plan to build it to hopefully sell someday, and uh, and then. You, of course, are a founder of an expertise-based business, but you have said that you're not planning to sell it someday? Yeah, I mean, that's that's not my plan, but who knows? <laughs> well, well, well you, yeah, what will happen if you want to do something different? Yeah, um, I, I think I, I heard uh, somebody talking about, you know, even if you don't plan to sell your business, um, what happened if you got sick? Or what happened if you just want to, you know, go on a long vacation, a three month vacation or something, if you had put those, those things in place to allow you to do that, um, it'll, it'll, it'll work for you, you know? Um, but you know, like who wants to have a business where you need to be there 24 seven, it just, it, it doesn't sound, sound nice. I want, and I, I already have, uh, to some extent, uh, got the situation where I don't need to be in the office and I could step out of the office for a week. Um, things would, keep ticking over um i don't know i i know i could take a two or three week break with with you know for planning um but anything longer than that and i you know i'd be need to get to get on the phone or get an email but um things would take over for for a while you know we, we and again i think for me it comes back to really important um having good good workflows processes sops um standard operating procedures so um you know and having that documented like one of the first things I do with uh, my assistant, Aiko, um, when when we do something, I'll, I'll do a video on something that I want her to do. And the first thing I'll ask her to do is, can you make an SOP document on this with screenshots? So that if she's not available, somebody else can come along and pick up that SOP document. And we just do that in Google Docs. We use Loom to record the screencasts. And um, yeah, so that that's a really great way of, of documenting things and making it easier to uh, to transfer that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, I also have a, um, an operations person. That was the first, my first hire was someone who does operations, who is the SOP goddess, <laughs> which is, which I mean, there it's would so be. boring, <laughs> and, and, but, but so essential, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. And it is, it is game changing. It literally, I mean, life changing, game changing, business changing uh, to have those pieces in place. And I still work on that on my kind of traditional legal work, which is all just, you know, Aaron doing what she's always done. Um, and it's all in my head and I just do it and, uh, and not having, you know, done this for too long without having any processes in place. And, uh, but I'm not, you know, the thing beyond IP is not being built that way. <laughs> it's definitely being uh, built with, uh, with the idea that it's not all Aaron all the time. <laughs> So, uh, I first discovered you, I'm pretty sure it was on a Philip Morgan podcast Probably. Or, or one, and you were doing a daily email. I believe in the daily email thing, but I just haven't managed to make it work for me yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to try that again. I'm actually going to try daily podcasts. So I'm going to record a video podcast daily. And um, I have some some plans in place for that. I, so by the time people listen to this, I may have three podcasts out there. So it, <laughs> it, it, it could be called Building Authority Daily or something like that. I actually was working on the workflows for that. Um, there are some workflows to take a video that you record and turn it into, a, into an audio 
um, to an MP3. So, um, and then automatically save that into a folder and then have that picked up by a zap, which then automatically transcribes it and puts it in the podcast feed and things like that. So um, if you are doing something like this, uh, your workflow is really key. Creating the workflow uh, and the workflow itself might be complex, but the goal is to make sure there's as little friction as possible in actually creating the content. So that's that's the key. That's amazing. Yeah, I uh, I had a previous guest who does a daily LinkedIn post, and uh, I think she was at that time on her ninetieth day and con- planning to continue to do that indefinitely because she's found it very valuable. And yeah, I'm you know I'm an admirer. I don't know that I will ever get there. But well, I'm going to do the daily podcast on weekdays for thirty days. And I'm going to assess it at that point. So I'm going to see, can I, can I do it for, so it's 20 episodes of between one and five minutes each. Um, I might batch record them. I might do them live. I haven't fully decided that, that yet. Um, I like the idea of doing it live because then people understand if it's live and unedited, it's live yeah. and unedited. So. Yeah. So I think that that is, that is very inspirational. I, I, that sounds like a lot of work, but you have your process in place to make it happen. Yeah. Batching is key. Um, if, if you can batch uh, record stuff. So um, yeah, there's there's advantages to batching and there's advantages to going live. And so it depends on the way that you do it. Hopefully I can send you a link. So by the time this goes live, there'll be a link in the show notes to this. Excellent, <laughs> so people, excellent. It, it, it could even be the case, you know, but by the time people get this, that they'll know if the experiment has failed or if it succeeded. So <laughs> that makes it worse. So we're sitting at the edge of our seat as we listen to this. Yeah, awesome. you, you, you get to, to jump forward into the future and find out if it worked or not. I love it. So as we wrap up, I have three final questions that I'll ask you one at a time. So as you know, here at Hourly to Exit, we support building an economy and a society that works for everyone. And so I'm wondering if there is a person or organization that has inspired you that you'd like to share with the audience. That is inspiring. Hmm. <laughs> it's an interesting one. Um, I'm, I'm inspired by people who work for civil liberties type organizations. And um, I, I have in the past donated to ACLU and um, there's another organization called EFF, Electronic Freedom Foundation. Is it Frontier maybe? Yeah, yeah, okay. you might be right there, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um in part because I think that the United States, I'm not in the States, I'm, I'm in Ireland, but I think that the US is like the, the you know, if you guys go down, we all go down. <laughs> so, so it's really well, important. I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really important that that you guys have, you know, strong uh, civil liberties and, and you know, um, privacy and things like that. So, so yeah, so those would be organizations and people who I would look up to uh, I think that's very important. So um, I, I grew up reading a lot of, you know, George Orwell and um, uh, Aldous Huxley and things like that. So uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of dystopian sci-fi was is in in my youth. So yes. um, yeah, I, I would be concerned about those kind of things. Yes, and and so some of those you can read now and go, huh? Someone yeah. has some amazing precious yeah. there. <laughs> so so do you have an offer that you like to share with the audience? Do I have an offer? Um, if you listened to this podcast episode and you thought, I need to niche down, I need to specialize, um, go go listen to my podcast, the Specialization Podcast. And if you think that you would like to work with me, if you think that I'm somebody who might be able to help you with that, I would be happy to help. And I, I know that niching down, it's, it's something, it's a difficult um, thing to do. And, and I think that you do need external help. And I don't say that in a self-serving way. I just mean, I, I think that you need to get external perspective on it. So um, if I might be the right person to help you, great. Um, please get in touch. Um, but do if you if you are doing it, get some external help. It, it is something where you kind of need a bit of perspective on it. It's a hard thing to do. Well, let me follow up with what are the symptoms of needing to specialize? If it, you're finding it hard to raise your rates, if you're finding pushback from people on raising your rates, I think that's a big one. Um, if you seem to be on this endless hamster wheel where um, you're running uh, to stand still, 
and you know you're learning something you're learning to you're learning too much on projects it's good to learn on projects but you're doing something different every time and you're getting frustrated with that or you'd never have time to somebody says oh you know you need to make more content you need to write blog posts blah blah blah. you know if you never have time to do any of that kind of stuff that is for me that's a big indicator that you need to take some time (laughs) and you have to make that time but you need to take some time to niche down and create content in one niche because it will pay off. It, it is not a quick thing though. You, you, this like turning a tanker ship or something, you know, it, this, it, it takes time. You have to turn the ship. If all goes really well and, and you, you make decisions quickly, you could possibly do it in six months, but it could take longer than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say it has been a process for me and continues to evolve. <laughs> but it is a hugely valuable, yeah. hugely valuable thing to do. So where can people find you? I know you mentioned your podcast. I know you have other online uh, presence. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look for the recognized authority and th- that, by the way, is not me claiming to be a recognized authority. That, that is me saying, this is the goal. This is what I want to help people get to is, is to become a recognized authority in their field. If you look up the recognized authority in your podcast app, you will find 70, 80 episodes out there. Episode number 16 is the one with Aaron. And uh, it's called How to Leverage Your Expertise with Intellectual Property. So you can find that by looking up Aaron Austin, the recognized authority in your podcast app. And that's a great episode to go listen to. Well, I thank you for that title. Sometimes uh, I've been guests on podcasts and the title, I'm like, huh, where'd that come from? (laughs) I'm going to give you an insider podcast tip now. Yes. Um, Writing the titles is difficult and time consuming. And so now I have in my podcast guest intake form, I asked them to provide a suggested title. Ah. I didn't do that at the time uh, with you. So I wrote that myself, but I have now made life a lot easier myself. I don't always use the, the title they suggest. Sometimes it's too long or too short, but it does make it easier. The more, the more you can make your, and again, this comes back to systems and processes, right? And um, the more you can make your guest intake form, do the hard work for you, the more information you gather there, the less you have to do later. Well, I love that. So would you like to give me a title for your for your episode? <laughs> <laughs> um, how to niche down your expertise business. All right. We heard it here. Well, thank you so much. This has been so delightful. So much good stuff in this. Um, thank you for having me on. It's 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 um it's a real honor to be the first um guy to be on here. So yes. thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. And uh yeah, hopefully we will do this again soon. Absolutely. Good. Thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for listening. Do not forget to check out the show notes for links to connect with today's guest and for the resources, offers, and organizations that we discussed. You can also find the links at hourlytoexit.com backslash podcast. If you got value from this episode, please subscribe. And I'd be so grateful for a review. I'm here to support your journey.